Welcome to Medicare Advantage for Health Plans podcast. Insider insights and perspectives to increase profitability and impact the health of the members you serve. This program is sponsored by AdvantaSure, services and technology solutions for government-sponsored health plans. This is Episode 7, Innovations in Claims and Payment Models. We're welcoming guest Kirsten Lynch. Kirsten is a claims technology expert and has been in the industry for over 10 years. How are you today, Kirsten? Great. I'm excited to talk plans with you today. Kirsten, to get started, would you give us a historical overview of claims and an idea of where the industry is moving in the future? Yeah. So prior to technology, we used to that providers would submit claims on paper. These forms were known as the HIPAA 1500 form for professional claims and the UB92 form for institutional claims. Institutional claims are often known as inpatient or outpatient claims. The UB92 was discontinued in 2007 and replaced by the UB04 form. In 2003, Medicare required all claims to be sent electronically. This resulted in a large shift away from the manual forms towards the use of NCX12 transactions to load claims into the system that were capable of auto-adjudicating. This shift changed everything. The obvious benefits of this technology adoption is that there's a significant reduction in errors. More recently, claims processing at its core hasn't changed a whole lot, but what has changed is the way providers are paid. The current fee-for-service model is phasing out, you know, where providers get paid per claim via like an electronic fund transfer or EFT. The problem with this per claim model is that there is no real accountability for the providers uh, to provide quality health care to the members. What we're seeing now is the movement towards capitation models. So providers are accepting part of the risk. Instead of getting paid per claim, providers are getting paid on a per member per month basis. What this means is that providers are getting reimbursed a set amount depending on the numbers of members they are serving per month and the quality of their services. The, claim, the claims records indicate the services used. CMS sets the rates for services, and providers agree on those capitated rates prior to entering in the, in the agreement. There are a number of different types of capitation models, but this is the most simple model. That gives us a good background. Thank you. So earlier you were telling us about the transition to technology and automation and claims processing. Obviously, this has clear benefits for reducing error and maximizing efficiency. Are there any unique problems that have occurred with claims technology adoption? Yeah, technology really transformed the way health plans do business in a number of positive ways, but it's a complex area, so it's not without its problems. Most health plans use a claims processor, and they send their claims files to the vendor through EDI, Electronic Data Interchange. The various types of EDI anti X12 files are identified by a number. So a standard claims file is an 837. And this could come to the claims processing vendor from the health plan, the provider's office, or maybe even a member portal. The idea behind a high auto adjudication rate is that when the file hits the claim system, you want the claim file to be able to process through the system, adjudicate, which is actually a claim status for us, which means to successfully process so that it can be paid without a human touching it. You don't want you don't want it to pen and then have a person manually correct it. You want it to flow nicely through the system, right into the check run, and pay out 
or right into a capitated status, so it will calculate into that capitation payment. Everybody wants to aim for a high adjudication rate, typically in the high 90s. This is an area where some systems can struggle. So what are some ways that auto adjudication can be disrupted? So there are a number of things that can impact auto adjudication rates. Faulty matching logic is a big source of problems. Most claim systems have some kind of matching logic that matches data from the claim to data in the system. You have to make sure you can match the fields on the file to the data in the claims database. And then the information on the claim has to be matched to the adjudication functions itself. Here's an example of what I mean by that. One of the big processes in adjudication has to do with provider data. For a professional claim, think about going to your, your PCP just for an annual exam. And on an institutional claim, this would be a hospital visit or maybe an operation. For adjudicating a professional claim, there could be multiple types of professionals on that claim. If I went to my PCP, Dr. Smith, at the University of Cincinnati, and then there's my rendering professional, which might also be Dr. Smith, if I just so happen to be going to see my PCP for services, there could also be a referring provider on there as well. So you see it could get very complex when there are a number of professionals and providers on the same claim. Part of what adjudication will do is take the information that comes in on the 837 and the information that comes in from the provider load file and match it up in order to adjudicate the claim. It's important that everything is matched correctly because providers have contracts in the system that explain how the provider should price and get paid. Going back to the example on matching logic and how that works, the claim comes in and says, University of Cincinnati is my billing provider, and that matches to University of Cincinnati's billing contract. Dr. Smith is my rendering, and it's mapped to Dr. Smith on its billing contract. Sometimes the claim's information is incorrect. You can have claim front-end reject, so it never gets to the system, or claims can pend where it needs a manual approval to move forward. For example, the logic finds your billing provider, but not your rendering provider, so the claim rejects. These are the types of errors that require a person for manual correction. Another type of error that would require manual correction would be if the provider contract isn't on file. The updated information would have to be manually added and then the claim would have to be reprocessed. The important thing for plans is to make sure that they have a strong adjudication system that can handle high volume. One of the novel solutions is to offer adjudication scaling solutions, which can be anything from multiple adjudication engines, which offer the ability to process more claims in a given time span, or if the plan is having difficulty getting through the process, maybe, maybe there needs to be some updating on the matching logic or a review of the plans that are happening to determine if the system uh, needs an update. That is a lot of coordinating. It's hard to imagine a time where automation wasn't driving this process. And we haven't even talked about the impact that regulatory changes have on the claims process. Yeah, a lot of the changes within claims are driven by regulatory changes, and that occurs multiple times a year. As an example of a really impactful change in the past couple of years, uh, is a regu regulation lovingly called MIPS. It's the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System. It's actually pretty cool. So what it does is allow certain professionals to take part in specified quality measures throughout the year and report back to CMS. If at the end of the reporting period, they met the metric goals, what would happen in the claim system is they would earn a percentage bonus payment on the claim. On the other hand, if a provider participated and they didn't meet the metric goals for the quality standards, 
they could be deducted a percentage up to a certain percent. For example, the 2023 net payment adjustments vary between negative 9% and positive 2.33%. So there's risk and reward. This was a major change for the claims application. That's interesting. You mentioned that major changes occurred because of this. What, what kind of changes? To implement this and update the technology for MIPS calculation, we had to look at claims with only non-participating professionals or professionals that do not participate in the health plans network. That uses that uses services on the Medicare physician fee schedule. There were some services that weren't applicable to MIPS, so we also had to create some conditions that excluded, for example, anesthesia services. The CMS regulation allowed for the calculation of MIPS both with or without member cost shares, which are things like copay and deductible. So we had to update the system both ways. Then the payments could be either real time or as a monthly settlement. This is just a few examples of CMS regulatory options that had to be taken into account. And this required a highly configurable system to keep pace here because the program parameters were so expansive and complex. And really, I would say this isn't just specific to MIPS. One of the major areas of concern in the industry as a whole right now is having claims processing technology that's highly configurable. The reason this is a big deal is because the industry evolves at a rapid pace, and plans have, have got to be able to adapt and pivot quickly with those changes to keep up. Okay, let's talk more about that, configurability. What are some of the ways that today's claims technologies need to be configurable? Yeah, there's configurations for regulatory changes, changes to the health plan, adding plan types, benefits, benefit plans, contracts, provider contracts. Let's see what else is on the menu. Capitation-related contracts, payer information, bank information, group information, member configuration, authorization. You know, a high level of configuration just allows for faster responses without having to change system logic. Of course, you'll always need some manual input for review. You know, we mentioned earlier, if something isn't in the system, you'll have to add it. High dollar amounts need manual approvals. Another CMS regulatory item is called the preclusion list. CMS says you can't process claims for providers on this list. Typically, people will end up on this list for fraud, waste, and abuse. First, they'll go through a pending status phase where it needs a manual approval to move forward in the claim. It's basically a watch list. Pending can occur at con- contract levels, professional levels, product levels, product network levels. Pens can be added for different situations where a manual review is preferable. So it's important to have automation because it's too much information for humans to turn through accurately, but you can't replace the human element completely. You'll always have scenarios that require this discernment. That makes sense. You've given us a really deep dive into what's going on behind the scenes in the claims world. I know talking with you has really enhanced my own appreciation for the complexity of the process. It was really great talking with you today. Thanks for having me. Always happy to talk claims with you. And thanks to everyone joining in today. Don't forget to follow the podcast. And if you liked this episode, share it on LinkedIn with your colleagues. This program was brought to you by Advantisure. From health management, member engagement, billing and claims, to risk adjustment and quality. Advantisure has a full suite of services and technology solutions for government-sponsored health plans.